so excited about this episode it's honest Megan honestly like is one of the most just courageous and beautiful people I've ever met in my entire life she is so amazing and the fact that she was willing to share her story I believe she mentioned it was like the first time she's actually like really shared it in a even though this isn't you know, immediately public, once you speak the words into the microphone, like, you know, it's going to go out there. So I think it was incredible of her to share her story to begin with. And I'm just so honored that she used this platform to do so. Um, But of course, in saying that, I want to mention that there is a huge uh, trigger warning for anyone who has suffered domestic abuse, violence, sexual assault, anything like that, because Megan is very honest about her experience with domestic violence. Um, And I thought that with October being Domestic Violence and Domestic Abuse Awareness Month, that this would be really the perfect episode to share at at this time. So I think everyone listening will find something really extraordinary from this episode and learn a lot about exhale to inhale which I just came upon and am so honored to become a part of going forward um it's just a really awesome uh organization that brings trauma-informed yoga to survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault so We'll talk about it more in this episode, but I'm really, really excited to A, share Megan's story, and B, get uh, let you all know about Excel Inhale and everything they're do- that they're doing in um, this month, uh, such as the gala. So, yeah, you'll, you'll stay posted. And, um, you know, whenever an episode like this comes up, I like to bring up therapy because, I, I mean, I have found so much benefit from therapy as I mentioned a billion times and I'm gonna be completely honest um so as you guys may know like you know with sponsorships obviously I have a benefit from saying their names like that's how these work so you know I I want to be real with you guys and at first with better help, A, I was a little bit skeptical because I've had only like the best private, you know, the paid therapist in the past. And as much as I love all of them, I do recognize that that like A, the, the whole system is so fucked up. It's not their fault. It's I don't even want to go into it, but like it's really a fucked up. Like you shouldn't have to pay $250 for a therapy session. I'm sorry. That's ridiculous. That's like absolutely absurd. That's, you know, a grand, you're dropping like a grand a month for therapy, which it should be something that's universally covered to begin with. But aside from that, sorry, I'm getting really heated talking about this. And so with all that being said, I was like, okay, especially in New York where, you know, the best therapists are per se, like, why would I want to do better help? And I also didn't, like, absolutely connect or love my first therapist who I was assigned to. However, as I've mentioned previously, my the therapist that I was assigned to, I didn't even choose her. Like, this was just, like, a match. Has been amazing. I love her so much. I look forward to our sessions every week. She is so incredibly helpful. Answers in the blink of an eye and really is there for me like at every point of my day at every time of the week like I can journal I can voice note things to myself because like obviously as you can tell I like speaking things to existence I find that very therapeutic and yeah I just am so grateful to have found better help because it's 
really it really works and for those who maybe like tried it and were like oh I didn't like love my therapist you can switch you can choose from the whole list of therapists so if that's like you're the reason you're not doing it I promise you like I tried to do that the first time due to it was like a technical issue but I ended up getting matched with someone new and she ended up being literally the best person ever so again better help is amazing and with my code you can get 10% off your first month so it's like a win-win for everyone involved especially you so I if you're thinking about therapy please consider better help it's amazing just go to trybetterhelp.com slash zoe zoe and you'll get 10% off your first month I promise you will never regret trying therapy it's literally exercising your mind just trybetterhelp.com slash zoe get started and let me know how it is and I love to talk therapy obviously so you know but anyways I don't want to take away from Megan so here you go here is the amazing Megan Sinoskalki Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. Today, I am so excited to be here with Megan Siniskalki. Is that right? Yeah, okay. you got it. <laughs> Who is the chair of the Young Professionals Board of Exhale to Inhale. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be recording this with you. I'm really excited to hear your story and share it with my listeners. So why don't you just start out by telling me about yourself? Where are you from? How old are you? Where'd you grow up? What's your story? Okay. So um, I am 31 years old. I grew up in Southern California, um, Orange County area. I went to undergrad out there at UCLA. Um, and then I moved out to New York in 2012. Um, that's when I was applying to law school. I was like dead set on being in New York, only applied to schools here. Um, and so I went to Fordham Law School in the city. And then I have been here ever since. I work as an attorney now in the city. Um, yeah. Did you always know you wanted to go into law? I did, actually. Um, so when I was in eighth grade, we did... Um, a John Wilkes Booth trial. He was oh, the person who like allegedly murdered Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. um, and actually I was like very shy growing up. And so um, I did not volunteer to like be a lawyer or whatever for that. This was um, in our history class. And then as we were doing it, like I was just having so much fun, like helping my friends come up with questions. Um, and I kind of like ended up taking on that role. And so from then on, I was like, this is what I want to do. I did mock trial in high school. Um, so, yeah, that it's it's been kind of nice that I sort of have known for a long time what I've wanted to do and and have continued to enjoy it. Yeah, through now <laughs> I ask because when I was younger, I remember my like seventh grade English teacher told me that I would, should be a lawyer and then I did mock <laughs> trial in, in high school too oh, cool. and I loved it I mean I really liked like being up there and like the questioning it's almost like I, I guess podcasting is a little bit of a digression from that in some ways yeah but um, still kind of similar yeah like getting like people to open up but yeah. you know not convicted right um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but I just couldn't I mean I can't imagine reading like I my brain does not like to read dense books so. yeah it was a lot law school was definitely um yeah a, definitely a tough time yeah. I would say or like yeah. the 300 hour bar exam like I couldn't do that yeah mm. yeah <laughs> but anyways you're mm. also involved in this amazing organization called exhale to inhale which I was wondering if you could talk about a little and explain what they do um the services they offer and the mission of uh, the nonprofit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have been involved with Exhale to Inhale for the past two years. Um, uh, almost a year ago, I became the chair of the Young Professionals Board. But Exhale to Inhale has been around since 2013. Um, and it's actually really interesting. It was founded... Um, by a woman named Zoe, Zoe LePage. And it started out as actually a project um, 
for school when she was at Barnard College. And now it's evolved into this amazing organization that just has such a great community, um, diverse community of people who really care about um, empowering survivors. And so the concept behind it is that Exiled Inhale brings um, trauma-informed yoga to survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. Um, it also brings this methodology to people who deal with survivors. Um, so that includes people who work at like shelters, um, social workers, like counselors, other people that mm. deal with this population. Um, because I think for those people, sometimes there's like this like secondary um, trauma, I guess, like, like remove, like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like hearing these stories and dealing with these people day in and day out, like can create your own. It's a lot to take on. It's a lot. Um, so, um, Excel inhale has like a very specific methodology that has been developed, you know, over the past seven years. Um, it really focuses, um, on the, choice of the survivor so it's it's different from like your normal yoga class like there's not a ton of like crazy poses and stuff like that but it's a lot of trying to get um the survivors to like recenter in their body and give them choices so that they feel empowered so every transition is always like an option for example like um you know, the instructor will say, like, if it feels good to you now, you can, you know, raise your arms in the air. Or if it feels better for you to put them to the side, you can do that, too. So um, that, I think, is one of, like, the cornerstones behind the methodology um, because survivors, I mean, so often what they experience is, like, almost like an out-of-body, like, out-of-control mm -hmm. feeling. And so this trauma-informed methodology, um, you know, helps them recenter and helps them feel like they have control over their bodies and helps them, you know, feel like they have control over their lives also. Um, so it's pretty incredible. Yeah, um, definitely. And um, as part of the Young Professionals Board, um, really what our goal is... Um, is to fundraise, of course, for the organization so that we can bring in, you know, the critical funds that allow us to um, conduct trainings of teachers in the trauma-informed methodology so that they can then go into shelters or our other, um, uh, you know, uh, what's the word, like places that we partner with. Um, so one, we want to bring in funds. And then two, we um, just want to like get our name out there. Like we want to spread awareness and we want people to realize that sexual assault and domestic violence is way more prevalent than people think. And um, so we do that in a variety of ways. Um, what the Young Professional Board really tries to do is come up with like fun and engaging events so that we can build our community and also raise funds at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, so one of our, I guess I'll call it an initiative, is our Movement for Meaning campaign. And so that's when we partner, well, pre-COVID, yeah. <laughs> we were partnering with fitness studios in the city and we would do like a donation-based class. So oh, that's awesome anyone that would attend like the studio would either donate like a portion or all of the proceeds to exhale to inhale. Um, now that, you know, most fitness studios are all are closed. We've, um, gone virtual with that, which has actually been really exciting because we've had such a wider reach because mm -hmm. we can have people participating all over the country, um, connecting with instructors all over the country. Um, so that's been great in terms of spreading awareness and, um, it's just really fun because I think, um, combining the movement and the, um, 
you know, moving for a good cause is just really powerful. Yeah, definitely. And it's like, it's almost like cycle for survival mm-hmm. in, that, in yeah. that sense. Yeah. Right. So, and what we try to do is have like a wide variety of classes. So it's not just yoga classes. Um, we've been doing some 305 fitness classes, which are so, <laughs> fun. so fun. I love them so much. Um, and just other, you know, like uh, we had a instructor from Rumble Boxing. So, you know, one of the things that we we try to um, strive for is inclusion, right? Like we want to increase our community and everyone is welcome. And so we try to partner with a lot of different um, instructors so that there's something for everybody to, to get involved with and um, to support survivors. Um, so that's one of our big um, initiatives. We also just started a monthly run club which has been oh, cool. really fun, um, like run, walk, run slash walk slash hike. Um, so the second Saturday of every month, um, we just say like run or walk, hike, wherever you are, like track it on Strava. And we have um, corporate sponsors who this past month donated like $5 a mile. And then it all totaled up to $1,000 for survivors. That's amazing. So Wait, really I should fun. definitely join that because I'm a big runner. Yeah. I will 600 miles on my Nike run club. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. We need, you, we need you on our team. <laughs> um, so it's, it's fun things like that. And, and one more thing that I'd also love to plug is that we have, um, our, um, annual gala coming up. And so that is kind of like an all, all folks on board sort of thing, but there are definitely people from the young professionals board, myself included, that are super involved with that. Um, so this year it is virtual and it is called a celebration of courage. Um, yeah, me too. And I think it applies, you know, not only to survivors, but to like everybody right now. Yeah. I was about to say like, this is a very timely time, time, very (laughs) just important time to be like, we are powering through this crazy pandemic exactly like so many people have had their lives turned upside down like so much uncertainty and you know and people are prevailing as best as we can and so um i think it's great that that you know this celebration of courage applies to to everyone right now um and so that's really like our big big fundraising push of the year um, we're going to have like several performers, which is going to be really fun. Actually, my old acapella group from college, oh gosh, they're performing. Amazing. Yeah, it's so fun. Um, and I'm actually going to be sharing my story as a survivor, um, also, um, on that evening. So it's really exciting. There's like, there's so much going on. The community is amazing. Um, yeah. Some quick logistical questions. Like sure. how many people are volunteers like how how big is the organization like in terms of people yeah so the organization is actually very small um we have you know our executive director who's actually new maggie laraca who's amazing um and then we have a few i think like four or five people on the staff um, some of whom are only part-time even. So like the oh, wow. staff itself is very small, but the community is made up of a lot of volunteers. Um, so we have our young professionals board. We have the board also, and then we have some advisors and then all of our teacher volunteers. Um, and I actually don't know the total number of teachers currently, um, but I believe we had... Um, so we offer trainings throughout the year for teachers and some are like four hour trainings in October. We have um, like a long full length training, which is like mm-hmm. the course of three days. Um, and we had a long training in June and I think there were like at least 20, oh, wow. 20 people. Um, and another thing that the funds that we raise go towards is scholarships for volunteers to take our trainings. Oh, awesome. Okay, cool. Um, and so how did you get involved um, in this organization and become a part of it? Um, about, yeah, I guess about two years ago, um, I was actually introduced to Exhale to Inhale from 
uh, a coworker of mine who was already involved in the organization. Um, she was a volunteer teacher and she had just joined the Young Professionals Board. Um, and I had talked about it with her a little bit. Um, and at the time I was, um, I had just gotten out of uh, a very unhealthy um, relationship and had experienced um, some domestic violence with my intimate partner. Um, she was also a survivor. And so I really leaned on her when I was, you know, going through the thick of it. And, um, she told me about exhale to inhale. And I just felt like as part of my own healing process, like, I think I would feel fulfilled, like giving back, um, especially to that population. Um, I think for me, one thing I really realized was that I had like such a huge support system. And so even through, even though what I went through was like, you know, very, very difficult. Um, I kept thinking about people who have it worse than me, whether or not like the severity of the abuse was worse, but also, um, you know, women who are, dependent on this partner and maybe they have children together and it's like they really don't have a way out or at least feel that they don't have a way out um a lot of the population that we serve are in community centers or um you know women's shelters um and so for me i just felt like like I need to give back to these people because I can obviously relate to them in terms of what I've experienced, but like they really need resources and, Mm -hmm. and help. And, um, so from that point forward, it's been like gung ho. Like I just, I joined the young professionals board and, um, now it's like, I'm super involved and it's like incredibly fulfilling for me. So I, really just appreciate you a talking about this amazing organization and also offering to share your story because I can only imagine how difficult it is to relive something like that. But I also know that there's so many, as you said, like there's so many people out there who go through something similar and just we've only scratched the surface because it it's hard or impossible to, for these survivors to come forward. So I was hoping you could give like some details about your abusive relationship. And I guess in like signs that in hindsight are now apparent to you that it was an abusive relationship where maybe like you didn't see those red flags when you were in it. Yeah, totally. Um, So my relationship was a little bit unique in that we had actually known each other for many, many years before we started dating. Um, and in, uh, it was in law school that we, we kind of reconnected cause he was actually always here in New York whereas I was in California for a lot of that time, but we always kept in touch. Um, and another element to our situation was that he was a recovering addict Um, And so he was addicted to Oxycontin pain pills. And when we started our relationship, he was sober. And I was like, honestly, so naive to just the world of addiction. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, he's better. Like, you know, like um, he still drank, which was um, now I know, you know, not a good sign. But anyway, um, so my experience um, there was some um a level of physical abuse that i'll get to but i think um one of the reasons why it's been difficult for me to even like acknowledge and or accept that i'm a survivor is because i feel like the abuse that i experienced isn't what you typically think of when you think of domestic violence i think most people think of like physical abuse like some like you know, a wife beater, for Mm -hmm. example. Um, And in my situation, for much of the abuse, it was really a lot of mental and emotional abuse. Um, Coupled with the addiction, like, 
it was just kind of a recipe for a disaster. Um, but I'm definitely like a fixer. Yeah. And, you know, he was like my first love and I would do anything to make it work. Um, and so, you know, the emotional abuse, I think it was a lot of gaslighting. It was a lot of, um, him always being the victim. So like, you know, any choice or anything that I did was like, that didn't necessarily like benefit him was like me out to get him kind of thing. Um, you know, another example that I think about now is like, he would call me like when I was at work, you know, he wasn't really a texter. And if I didn't answer, he would call me six or seven times before I finally answered. And I just thought like, that's just him. Like he's just kind of impatient or like, you know, he worked in construction and like he had, would have a break at a certain point during the day and would, you know, want to talk to me during the break. You know, now I realize how like unhealthy that is. Like it's not my job to like be there at a drop of a hat for you whenever you need me. Um, So I think inter twingled and intermingled in everything was also this codependency probably with mm-hmm. both of us but I think especially him like he was very codependent on me um even sometimes financially when he slipped back into active addiction during our relationship um and so because of that like I I just really I think developed this feeling that like I had to take care of him like and it was it was really hard because you know like any decisions that I made I was constantly you know kind of worrying about how he was going to react to those things and not so much that I was scared physically but I was scared of whatever reaction he was going to have because he's very rash. It would be like zero to 100 screaming at me on the phone, hanging up the phone. And I think when you're in those situations, you just start to normalize it. Yeah. And it was my first serious relationship. So even though I think in the back of my mind, I knew it wasn't healthy. I just... I didn't want to give up on him. Um, I felt like I saw, you know, his potential and like I saw the good in him. And so I clung on to that for sure. Um, and so eventually, you know, what happened was um, he slipped back into addiction, as I mentioned. Um, he did go to rehab for a part of our relationship. Um, and then it became, you know, really kind of a sick and twisted situation where I was constantly trying to monitor what he was doing, trying to monitor his money, what he was spending it on, um, you know, looking at his phone to see who he was texting to make sure he wasn't texting so-and-so about picking up, you know, whatever the code words were, Mm -hmm. um, And then the fear of, you know, when I would find something like first, it's like this immense disappointment, like your heart just drops and it's like, like, fuck, like here we are again. And then the fear of um, saying anything to him about it, because then it would turn into like a huge blow up. And he was just so good at making everything my fault. Mm hmm. Like no matter what it was, I can't even think of an example right now. Um, so, um, it started to become, um, physical. Um, I would say like two years into the relationship, um, there was an incident in which, um, he was not sober and um i i came home to him not being sober and there was a blow up and a fight and um he had 
had pushed me onto the bed and had held his hand, held like his arm against my throat and like all of his weight on top of me. And that was like the first time that I ever was like actually in fear for my safety. And I was saying like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Um, but I think a part of the, the emotional manipulation was that like, I wouldn't dare do anything about it. Like I wouldn't call the police because like, no, I have to protect him. Like, yeah, it's like when you are in an abusive relationship, like the psychology is just so fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> like I remember, you know, prior to ever experiencing anything like this, like feeling obviously terrible for people who had experienced this, but always wondering like, why don't they just leave? Yeah. Just leave. Just go to a shelter or go to your family or just, you know, but now that I've experienced it, it's just like this, there's this psychological aspect about it that you feel um, like you owe something to your abuser, which when I say it out loud, like sounds so totally nuts. But I think also because of the addiction and just the nature of our relationship and how I had always felt like I had to protect him and protect his secrets and anything he did wrong, like that carried over even to when like my safety was compromised. Yeah. Um, there was an incident, you know, where he was throwing glass, smashing glass against the wall, smashing, um, like a lamp on the floor. Um, Never anything like where I had bruises or I had to like cover it up or I was, you know, worried about people finding out. But, you know, very few people in my life knew what was going on. Very few people knew about his addiction. Um, and so both of those things, I think, were a burden that I carried for a long time, um, especially in my career, just I don't know, like I, I like to be somebody who's like put together and I have it all together and I, to a fault, I think, care about what people think of me. Mm -hmm. And so this was just another thing that like I had to just like cover up and deal with it. And like I I thought it could get better and it just couldn't. Um, and so ultimately it culminated in another, um, another blow up in which he was again kind of getting physical with me, like pinning me down. Um, I was able to get my cell phone and I, I actually did start to call the police. Um, and you know, he ripped the cell phone out of my hand. He ran out the door, grabbed my computer, had my phone. Um, and I just remember like, like falling to the floor, like feeling so powerless like I couldn't like I didn't have a way of communicating with anyone it was just like the epitome of um feeling powerless and um he came back upstairs and I had locked my door and he kicked down my door um and finally I was able to get a hold of my phone I like calmed him down and even still like I could not like call the police or do anything about it like I just I couldn't and I felt so weak I think during the course of this relationship like I've I've never felt more weak in my life weak because I couldn't walk away like um and um it was my friend that called the police like my 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 old roommate um she called the police did you know she was going to? She had texted me because it was like a few hours had gone by. And she was like, what's going on? You know, he was kind of packing up some of his stuff because I was still trying to be adamant that like you're done. We had actually been broken up for some time, but it was sort of this um, 
kind of this, you know, unhealthy period where you're broken up, but you still see each other or like you're not letting go truly. Um, And so he still had some stuff at my apartment. Um, And then I didn't respond for a little while. And she had texted like, you know, hey, I'm going to call the police like if you don't respond. And like and I didn't and I didn't. And she called the police. Um, And I'm really thankful because I feel like I needed that to to uh i guess push me over that threshold um but again even still when you know the police came finally i didn't tell them about the door i didn't tell like i i didn't tell them the whole story yeah and it's like so unbelievable to think back on it but um they contacted me a day later and for some reason, I just felt like telling more. I don't know what it was. I was literally walk like on my way to work and they called me when I was waiting for the subway. And so I, I ended up talking to them and, and walking and they said, OK, well, we're going to arrest him. And I just absolutely freaked because that obviously went against everything, like all of my, um, I guess, thoughts about like protecting him always. Yeah. Um. And I said, don't, no, don't arrest him. Like, I don't want to arrest him. Like, he's going to hate me for it. Like, I still cared so much about how he felt like I didn't want him to hate me. And I think part of it was like, because I still loved him, but also it was like this unhealthy abuser, abusee, um, psychology. Um, but they said, no, we have to arrest him. He prevented you from calling the police and he broke down the door and, um, and even still, I was like, okay, well, um, he works from this time to this time. Like, can you not do it at his work? Like, it's just, it's so just crazy. crazy. It's really crazy. Um, but ultimately, there was an automatic no contact order put in place. Um, and, you know, I a week or two later, I think, I went to Europe for three weeks with my friends. And um, that was, you know really truly even though we hadn't been together for many months officially like that was truly the start of me um healing and it's an ongoing journey of course yeah well thank you just so much for sharing that I mean I like can tell that that was not in something easy to relive and probably never will be yeah but I think that there's probably so many again people who need to hear that and that like you know even you can look back on yourself and say like I can't believe I didn't leave but you also recognize that it was it like wasn't you it was like something kind of clouding your mind yeah did your friend like this roommate ever or I know you said like not many people knew about it Mm -hmm. but did anyone ever say anything like oh like John Doe I don't know his name yeah um (laughs) like is like why does he always call you or like why don't you just not answer like did people ever say things that kind of insinuated that this could be not maybe not abusive but like he was like obsessive yeah absolutely I think um my friends and and it was unfair to them to like always were bordering that line of like trying to be respectful and knowing that like it's my decision sort of in the same way it's interesting how I can now in hindsight draw parallels to the addiction like I was never going to be able to force him to stop being an addict like he was going to have to choose on his own to give that up in the same way that like I had to choose on my own to get out of that relationship. Um, And, you know, one of the things that I had told my friends for a long time was that, like, I wanted to let go, but I just felt like I couldn't. Like, I just felt like I had to give it every bit of me that I had to make it work before I could let it go. And so they were respectful of that. Um, but they definitely would say things and I know it was just out of care for me. 
of course, but one of the things um, that I struggled with the most about this situation, and I think a lot of survivors do, is the shame associated with it. And it's that shame of like, how can, why can't I get out of this? Like, how did I let this happen to me? Like on the outside, I think I look like somebody who kind of has it all together. Like I'm well-educated. I've worked really hard in my career. And it's like, how am I this like vulnerable, weak person? Um, And so even with my friends, like sometimes I would, I wouldn't tell them the whole truth either because of the shame and the fear of being judged. Yeah. Um, But I think it was, it wasn't a secret to those close to me that it was unhealthy. So one thing I, I, um, it was actually a podcast I listened to, but this woman who was also a survivor said like, I mean, I think her friends picked up on it a little bit more or were more vocal. And she said at the time, like the time she wouldn't want to listen to anything except for like, she wouldn't want to listen to anyone bashing the partner, but what the advice she would give to people who have a friend who are, is it in like an abusive relationship or seems to be in one would be to just empower them. And so I was wondering what advice you would give to, let's say, like a friend of yours, h- however many years ago. Mm-hmm. To, like, what would you have listened to? It's hard because, you know, I I totally I love the concept of what she is saying. Like, you know, empower them, and that's something. Like I said before, is what Excel and Hill tries to do. Um, it's tough because I think when you're in it you are only going to hear what you want to hear. Yeah. And so what I asked of my friends, and I think that they they did a good job of this, is just like, just please support me and listen to me. Mm-hmm. And I was okay with them, you know, telling me what they thought to a certain extent. I think I definitely defended him. But when it got towards the end, when it was it was really bad and like I knew it was going to end, I I feel like I just was like, I just need a little more time. Yeah. Um, And I think that they were respectful to that, of course, you know, up into the point where they were in fear for my safety. Like, that's a different story. Yeah. Um, You know, I shared enough with them so that you know, they knew on that day that he was getting physical and preventing me from calling the police and and blah, blah, blah. So I think I'm sure it was hard for them in the same way that it was hard for me to watch what was happening to him with his addiction. Yeah. Just like a lot of helplessness. Yeah. All around. Yep. Totally. So kind of digressing, but in a weird way, not. Your current job, you're a lawyer, Mm -hmm. but you, I I was wondering if you could explain like what your specialty is probably the wrong word, but what law you practice and like who you work with because it's very interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I am a litigator and I practice civil litigation, um, and I do defense work. And so part of my practice is actually defending education institutions in lawsuits related to sexual assault. Um, And it's super interesting because, first of all, whenever you say, like, oh, I'm a defense lawyer, people are like, how can you do your job? Like, don't you feel guilty? And I'm like, well, wait a second. Um, But especially in that context, like, it's, you know, people always want to hear more, which I'm obviously happy to explain. Um, I think in, in a lot of my cases, even aside from sexual assault, oftentimes there's no doubt that something went wrong or something occurred that shouldn't have occurred. Um, but whose fault is it? So most of my cases... Um, are uh, sexual assaults that have occurred between two students. So there's a claim that there's a lack of supervision, 
Um, but you know, not to get too legalese, but the law in New York is that schools, um, they don't have, they're not required or they don't have the duty to supervise every single student's act at every time. Like it's impossible. Yeah. And so a duty arises when they have prior notice that this person is likely to engage in this behavior. So sure. If they're, you know, if there's one student who has had two prior incidents of like, you know, sexually inappropriate behavior or something, and then they assault another student, you know, there is a strong case to say like the school should have done something like yeah. they were on notice that this, uh, this student had the propensity to hurt someone else. Um, but oftentimes, and, and I have, you know, two cases right now where there were no prior incidents at all involving the student and, you know, so how is the school supposed to prevent that? Um, so it's interesting because, you know, I've taken depositions um, and a deposition is where you're you're sitting with a party to the lawsuit and you're questioning them and it's on the record. There's a court reporter that records it and that evidence can be used at trial. Um, and, you know, I have to ask them really difficult questions like about what happened um and like specifically like a lot of times we you know we need to know where did they touch you how long did they touch like really specific things um and so on the one hand i'm technically adverse to that party because i represent the school that they filed a lawsuit against um but i think you know, my experience as a survivor has helped me relate to these individuals and allows them to open up. Um, I know whether that harms them or hurts them in the litigation, it just depends on the case. But ultimately my goal is to get as much information as I can. So I can adequately defend my client and determine whether or not there was something wrong that my client did. And if there was something wrong, what is a reasonable amount of, you know, compensation or a reasonable remedy for that person? Um, so it's very interesting because I've, I've sat across the table from somebody you know, crying in the way that I just cried, telling about their experience. Um, and this practice just kind of fell into my lap. Like I, I joined this firm four years ago and they had an education practice and I started working with a more senior associate on it and just just found it to be very interesting. Like the facts themselves are usually interesting and yeah. you're reviewing a lot of times like psychological records, which I find interesting um does it get hard like speaking with these people like do you ever have to like leave the room to like compose yourself I mean I can't even imagine I think um you know sometimes and and even lately I've have noticed that I've I don't want to say I've become desensitized to it because it is like it's so significant and like I understand that having being a survivor myself um but I think you know I just try to be as professional as possible yeah and and view it more as like I just want to hear your story and and most of the time I'm able to keep it together I mean oftentimes we'll take breaks because they need to take a break yeah which is nice for me too, because you know, I can take a break. Um, but it's definitely heavy stuff. Yeah. I think it's interesting too, that on the other side of it, you're working with these higher educational institutions to create programs and other things that make sure or tries to mitigate the number of sexual assaults or sexual misconduct on campus. So in that way, you're kind of getting like getting that power back. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, and, and I think truly a good lawyer is somebody that can be on both sides of things. Yeah. Um, and so I'm fortunate that, you know, within that education practice that I have at my firm, 
we do work with, as you said, higher education institutions and advise them on how do they respond appropriately to allegations of sexual misconduct. How, um, you know, t- so part of that is we do annual training with them, um, which I funny enough did today. I did a three hour training with employees at an institution about how do you go about um, an investigation, one that's impartial and fair to both sides, um, but also what do you do um, throughout your interviews and throughout the investigation so that you're not re-victimizing this individual? You know, one of the things that I tell clients is to try to get all the information that you can at one time so this person isn't retelling their story. Yeah four or five times to different people. Um, so, you know, and, and how do you approach sensitive subject matter? Because, you know, that undoubtedly um, comes up in these, in these types of investigations. Um, and it's interesting because now, you know, we're bound by um, these new Title IX regulations that have come out. Um, and Title IX is the federal lawsuit um, that bars discrimination on the basis of sex and that encompasses sexual harassment, sexual assault, uh, domestic violence, dating violence. Um, but you know, people have been up in arms because in prior administrations, you know, the point of, um, a lot of the title nine guidance was how do we protect survivors? And the pendulum has really swung the other way with this administration and there is a focus on due process for the accused, you know, which of course is important. But there, there are some new requirements under the law that are just, in my opinion, <laughs> they're just kind of crazy. I mean, now when somebody has a claim of sexual assault in a college, um, they have to undergo a cross-examination from the accused's advisor. Holy shit. And so it's like, who's going to want to do that? I think there's going to be a total chilling effect on people who report sexual misconduct. Hopefully Zoom University helps with that for a little bit, honestly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's really interesting how, um, I guess, in in many aspects of my life now, this has become something that um, I'm dealing with a lot. But I think... For me, um, getting involved with Exhale to Inhale has like really been the thing that has helped me kind of, I think, like propel my healing journey. Um, And this is like the first time that I've ever been this open about my story. Um, I've posted like a few times on social media, just like a little bit about my experience, like, you know, calling myself a survivor um, but not really giving details and and it's getting involved with this organization that has like really truly given me the courage you know <laughs> to go back to what we were talking about before like to share my story because I just I want people to know that this can really happen to anyone yeah and there probably are people in your life that you would never suspect it but they're dealing with something you know, really, really challenging. Um, and so I just feel, you know, now I've gotten to a place after a few years where I am feeling more brave about sharing my story. And I want, I hope that, you know, anyone that's listening, even if it doesn't cause them to get out of the situation, just like knows that like they're not alone and other people have experienced this. Cause I think another part of being a survivor with the shame and the fear of judgment is like you just close up and it feels very lonely. Yeah. I mean like what Brene Brown says, like the power of vulnerability is just like unparalleled because it really shows others that they can um, either, you know, have someone to confide in or at least know in their heart that as you said, they're not alone. Yeah. I listened to your podcast that just came out this week with yeah. was it Samantha? Mm-hmm. Samantha and I literally um I just cried the whole time like honestly I just cried the whole time obviously you can tell I'm a crier but um 
because you know she was talking about her experience with her fiance who had overdosed and I just it was like every word she said I just related and it like it it brought me back like not in like a terrible like a necessarily negative way but it was just like yeah like I experienced that like that's exactly how I felt like you know it's just so nice to 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 hear somebody else speak um and say something you know that you relate to it's like even if you don't know that person you no longer feel as alone yeah definitely so i'm gonna take a short break and then we're going to finish up as i always do with a couple of questions from a new york times article hi everyone quick interruption to talk about sakara because they are another one of my amazing sponsors so if you haven't heard, even though I've mentioned them like every episode, Sakara is a meal delivery service program that offers like extremely healthy and nutrient dense um, ingredients in all of their food and all their products. So I initially tried like the signature nutrition program and then I've been dabbling in their Sakara boutique, which are like one off items. And then I also had recently tried their wellness products, which I think I'm going to quickly mention now. Um, I basically, sorry, I did like, I don't know if this is like weird or gross, but I've been like looking for a new probiotic and I wanted to try seed if anyone's heard of it, but it's super duper expensive. And I was like, eh, I'm going to try one that I can get a discount off of. So I tried Sakara's and it's been amazing. Like I felt like so much just better and, I don't know, maybe it's that combined with the metabolism superpower, which I talked about before, which is also just incredible. Um, I've been really enjoying everything that Sakara has to offer. So what's really awesome is that I can give you guys a discount for 20% off your order, which is very significant considering, you know, they have pretty high price points. Um, but it's definitely worth it. Like, you know, um, what's what's that phrase? Like get what you paid for kind of a thing but you definitely get what you paid for with Sakara and I can give you a discount so if you use the code XOZOE at checkout that's X-O-Z-O-E uh, you'll get 20% off your order um, let me know what you guys think they change the menu up every week so I'm sure it'll be great and we can talk about it more and speaking of which the dog I'm watching just carried in a bag of granola into my room. So I need to go work on that. But anyways, back to Megan. Oh my God, what the hell did this dog do? Okay, now that we have our new friend, Waffle. <laughs> <laughs> um, for context, there's a dog sitting with us right now. And she's so, so cute and fluffy. So sweet. Um, but anyways, now I'm just going to wrap up with a couple of questions that I always end with. Okay. So the first one is, what's one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today? Um, I definitely think um, my, I guess in total, my entire experience with my um, former partner, um, both, you know, loving someone who was in active and recovering addiction Um in addition to, you know, the, the domestic violence and emotional abuse that I experienced, um, I think now I have come out of that with a stronger sense of self-worth um, and, you know, have been able to recognize, like, what is a healthy relationship. Yeah. Um, and I think also... Um, I think in general, I'm an empathetic person, but having been through something like that, it just helps to remind me that like everybody has a story and, you know, even when you're, I think about this all the time for some reason, like even when you're riding the subway and like somebody is rude or, or obnoxious, it's like, you don't know what's going on in their life. Like you have no idea. Like I don't think anybody knew or very few people knew what was going on in my life. And so I try to, you know, carry myself with that in mind. And I don't think I would have um, as much 
um, empathy in that regard had I not experienced this. Yeah, no, it's true. I think like that's one of my favorite quotes is um, everyone, you know, is or everyone, everyone, you know, is going through something you know nothing about. Be kind always. I probably butchered the first part of that, but yeah, yeah, it's like the whole Agaticus Finch thing. Just Mm -hmm. love that quote. Yeah. Um, Next question, which is kind of going off of that. Okay. Do you have a favorite quote or a mantra that you live by? I would say my favorite mantra is um, it's called the serenity prayer. Um, And so when I was dealing with my ex-boyfriend's addiction, I started going to meetings called Naranon meetings. And so um, they're meetings for like family and friends and loved ones of addicts. It's -hmm. like a support group. And um, you begin each meeting and end each meeting and i think also the addicts do this at na and aa with um what they call a serenity prayer and so it's um god and god can be anyone like spiritual anything um, but it's god grant me the serenity to accept the things that i cannot change the courage to change the things that i can and the wisdom to know the difference yeah I love and that. i think i just I just love that so much and I, I carry it with me and, you know, even still to this day, I would say like most nights, I just kind of say it to myself before I go to sleep. Next question is what do you love most about yourself? Ooh. Um, okay. So I think what I love most about myself is my sensitivity I think it's my superpower and I recently read the book Untamed by <gasps> Glennon Doyle. Oh my gosh, it's my favorite book. <laughs> I did my first ever book club and that was our book um, in the spring. And I mean, oh, she's just so awesome. There are like so many one-liners from that I book. I literally can get obsessed. that book tattooed on my body. <laughs> yeah. Like it is so good. Yeah. But there's this one chapter, I'm sure you remember, where like she's talking about her daughter and her sensitivity about the polar bears like she was so obsessed over like what was happening to the polar bears yeah Um, and she was like that's her superpower and I was like yes because I feel like um along those the lines of what she talks about in the book about like kind of like gender stereotypes and like these molds that were expected to fit into I have for a really long time like beat myself up for being so sensitive and I've gotten much better about that. And now, and I, I feel like that's my superpower. Like I can relate to people mm-hmm. and I think people feel comfortable coming to me like with serious stuff and hard stuff. And, you know, that goes into what I was talking about with work. And, um, and so I've been trying to really embrace that side of me and like, it doesn't have to be a negative, like, yeah, it's, exactly. It's just empathy. Yeah. It makes me who I am. (laughs) Love that. Yeah. My favorite quote from that book is when she's talking about how like she like goes through like how her I think was like I forget what the addiction one was, but the anxiety that basically made her more like sensitive to the world and Mm -hmm. the depression to like make. Oh, I'm really butchering this, but like (laughs) light the world on fire or change. And I that's my favorite quote. Yeah, I just again could her book it's get so everything powerful um, tattooed anyone <laughs> anyone and everyone should read it i agree completely <laughs> and last question which is the name of the podcast okay. is how do you find solace in the city mm. um i think um one of the ways that i try to do that is through creative outlets so i mentioned i was in an acapella group Um, and I've happened to get involved with like these, um, performing arts lawyer groups. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. It's random. But we actually, we did a musical, um, honoring Ruth Bader Ginsburg and she came to the musical (gasps) and I met her. No way. In February, like right before COVID, like thank God it was February 5th. Um, 
So I think that and I've I've actually this is random, but I've started doing professional organizing like on the side during COVID. And that's also kind of like a creative outlet. Like it's it's like puzzles, like fitting things together and creating systems for people. Um, And so I think like. I think finding outlets for my creativity helps me stay sane and happy and brings me joy, you know, in a city that, I mean, there's actually a lot of creativity going on in the city, but like, you know, in my job, yeah, it's like chaotic energy and it's like the everyday grind of going into the office and whatever. And like those things kind of help me, um, find solace in the city <laughs> also if you are taking new clients my parents need professional organizers um, um majorly yes, yes. um there yeah our house is a mess yeah but <laughs> <laughs> anyways megan thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and just everything where can everyone follow you learn more about exhale inhale where how can they participate and get involved yep totally um so i'm on instagram i would say my personal instagram page is not that interesting but it's meg seneskalki um my organizing instagram is tidy tribe tidy tribe tidy underscore tribe um but exhale to inhale you can find also on instagram at exhale number two inhale um and we're that's constantly being updated um with upcoming events whether it be like the movement for meaning workout events or trainings um obviously a lot of info is being pushed out right now about our gala which i hope everybody comes to so you can learn more about the organization um also our website exhaledinhale.org um, and people, of course, can always reach out to me directly about Exhale to Inhale and the Young Professionals Board um, to learn more about how to get involved. Amazing. Well, thank you again. And bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you.